0: He said, I represent 60,000 missionaries and we need to change the way India thinks about generosity so that we can expand ministry. And apparently the Hindu government has really been restricting the, to the point where they've confiscated Western funds and shut down about 30 percent of NGOs or nonprofits. But he's he's saying we have to figure it out on our own. He, and he wasn't asking for a BAM model. He was asking for. A generosity model out of the church's giving and in individual missionaries. And so I, I, don't, I, I can't speak to the whole world, but the parts of it that I'm engaged with, and they are wanting to send laborers who are fully devoted. The Mission Matters podcast is a partnership between 1615 and Missio Nexus, who have a shared passion to mobilize the people of God to be a part of his mission.
1: Welcome to the Mission Matters. It's great to be with you, Ted. Haven't seen you in a while. You've been on the road.
2: Yeah, been on the road. Been it's just been a really busy really busy season. So a board meetings and we did a CEO retreat and a bunch of other things. So yes.
1: Well, as you know, I always enjoy these conversations and today is a very important one. Uh, We prayed before we opened up, and uh, we're going to be talking about money. And as you mentioned in your prayer, Jesus talked about money a lot. Um, It has a lot to do with the state of our heart. And so looking forward to today.
2: Mark, I wonder if we could start by, if you could just tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do.
0: Yep. So uh, Mark Wilson is my name, and uh, right now, who I am, that's a fun question, (laughs) Um, well, I would say I am a, a lifelong follower of Christ. I had fantastic parents growing up who really demonstrated serving. My dad was a career air force officer, did a seminary on the JBL, but but they left a mark on me um My mom would share the gospel with just about everybody she saw, and so You know, in terms of who I am, my
2: my parents left a mark on me too, but maybe a different kind of mark. I don't know. Just, just yeah.
0: Well, (laughs) you know, yeah. I'm sure there's some of that too, right? Yeah, Uh, but, but they, but they really impressed on me a a life of of being about others and people who don't know about Jesus. And so that the long story short, I mean, I think they really um, impressed on me service and care and concern and. Um, the priority of the gospel among the lost. And so I think those things and, and family's been important. Um, I mean, my, being a military kid, travel um, has always been a part of what we did because we lived in England and, and my dad was in Korea and a few other places. So, you know, in essence, the, like those were things, I love adventure. I love travel. I mean, and uh, certainly I have, I've been in missions for a long time. Um only been in what's, what's called SRS, and we just changed, I don't know if you guys knew, we are now via generosity. Um, so our whole organization changed from Center for Mission Mobilization to, to via, and uh, so we've got different divisions. So via students, via churches, via families, and via generosity. Um, but for four years, I've been directing um, what was support raising solutions now via generosity. And um, the goal, I mean, is to send more laborers, keep more laborers, Um, but primarily we are focused on the 80% of the church in the world who has an untapped or maybe underutilized ability to send laborers to the field and they live near the most unreached people in the world. So we're, we are doing a lot of stateside ministry with missionaries, but we are uh, consistently and strategically growing into the global South um, to raise up leaders there so that they can have their own sustainable movements,
1: so Mark, given the purpose of your organization, uh Ted, and I realize you probably have a bias toward support raising, yeah, but a bit. we are hearing lots of conversations today and and I want to emphasize lots everywhere mm-hmm. I go i'm hearing this, and it's originating, I think inside many missions organizations that the era of support raising is coming to an end and we need to be exploring different models. Do you think the support raising area is closing?
0: Well, um, I mean, Ellis Goldstein has a great quote, and I'm going to butcher it, but he says there's, and he's from Crew, but he says there's an insidious rumor that support raising has come to an end. And I, I think um, it's exactly that. It's It's a rumor and it's, now, at the same time, I don't think it's wrong to explore other options. I think we should be looking at multiple ways to do things. But from what we're seeing, we still train 2,200 Great Commission workers a year. And um, the organizations that join uh, SRS and sort of be a generosity and start using our training, their average time to the field cuts by six months. So and just in terms of what we're seeing, um, I I don't see it as the end. Now, it doesn't mean that there won't be other other factors out there and contrib- contributions. But um, as far as we can tell, I don't see a drop off in in those kinds of things. People are still getting funded. They're still getting to their field. Um, and we're starting to see Global South people raise their support from their own communities um, and go places. And, and that's I mean, I know it's been done. I mean, crew and navigators are way ahead of many of us on some of those things. But for these unaffiliated people, it is new for them.
2: Could could you talk a little bit to. So my sense is churches are less excited about the support raising model. Again, though, it might just be rumors, but I mean, look at my own support base because I raise support. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to have uh, five churches as part of my support-raising team. I currently have none. Um, That might be because of my career path and what churches are interested in investing in, I get that. But how about local churches? Are Do you think that they're as involved as they ever have been, or do you see a change in how they're approaching uh, support-raised requests?
0: It's a great question. You know, um, Dan, uh, Ted. We surveyed twelve hundred missionaries three years ago. We did a we uh, did a partnership with the University of Arkansas where they built um, a social model uh, survey for us that had predictive indicators and all those things. It was really it was really a great product. But one of the things we noticed is the average missionary had between one and three churches, and they gave about fifteen percent of that person's total support need. Now, I think in wow. the past. Like when I started in 1995, uh, I'm trying to think, churches made up probably around 50% of my support. So and again, that's very anecdotal because that's my own support. But um, what we are experiencing is that churches are inundated with ask. And so they start to have to narrow. Like you know, even what, one of the churches that's on our team now, if we were to go back, now we, you would have to be in the church for more than seven years before you could join their missions team. And so, I mean, but there, you know, there's just a lot of people doing it. And so I think certain churches are very focused locally, but the ones that are focused globally are just inundated with, with great commission requests. And, um, and there's just a lot of other stuff going on, too. I mean, when you guys have any thoughts? I mean, I'd love to hear what your experiences are there, too. I mean, Ted shared a little bit about his. Any, any thoughts from you, Matthew, on that?
1: Yeah, I would like to talk about that a little bit. I think for a long time, the way churches approach missions, uh, maybe it was a missions committee or a missions team. But, but their question that they asked was, what missionaries should we support? How much money do we have to allocate? Um, you know, they were responding to requests for funding. And I think there's a shift going on, and it's more towards mission, like what mission has God called us to accomplish, Mm -hmm. and then what missionary should we support? So again, mine's going to be an anecdotal response, but I realize that churches are supporting less missionaries, but I find that they're supporting areas of focus, and they're supporting them more deeply. So um, again, my experience, I've worked with some churches that they shifted from a missionary driven model to a mission driven model. Now the missionaries in those areas of focus are receiving high levels of support. Sure. Um, The churches are giving much more. They're investing more. Again, I realize that's anecdotal, but sometimes those numbers of, you know, average of 15 down to three, there's other factors that we don't actually see what's really going on there.
2: So I wonder, Matthew,
1: I'm guessing, maybe I'm wrong
2: about this, but I'm guessing most of the churches that you work with have a mission pastor.
1: Yeah, great question. Um, We probably need to do an analysis. I'm going to say half. Um, And if it's not a missions pastor, it's probably a missions director that's a layperson.
2: Because my sense is that strategic shift you're talking about often happens as soon as a church gets a full time mission pastor and their job is to focus on that. Then they tend to shift toward more of a purpose. You know, what's the purpose of our missions team versus a responding kind of a model where they're responding to things that are brought to the to the missions leader.
1: I think you're right. I, I think uh, size is a factor as well. Obviously, if a church has a budget for a missions pastor, it's gonna be a larger church. Um, there's exceptions to the rule, but I think you're right, Ted. There's probably someone on staff, even if it's part-time, um, and it's probably a larger church, and I'm gonna say 300 plus. But again, that's anecdotal, but yeah, you're right. So Mark, one of the things that
2: I know Matthew and I both hear a lot about is this idea that business's mission is displacing the support raised model? Um, what are your thoughts? You think that's the future of mission? Um, what do you think about that?
0: You know, um, I, I did some quick reading this morning. I have a good friend, um, buddy is his name, and he is a speaker and a business as mission guy. And uh, and I was just thinking, okay, how. What would Buddy say if he was on the podcast? Because I just I wanted to be as authentic as I could about it. And I think my understanding, I think their intents are good in terms of their holistic efforts and um wanting to be incarnational. And I mean, I think so I think some of those things are good. And I read somewhere that it was birthed out of a Lausanne uh working group, which which also was interesting to me. I, I don't think I knew that before this morning, if it's true. But I mean, when I'm out and about in the world and 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 this current role has me traveling places that I just have never been like Rwanda and Egypt and um, what I don't see, and maybe it's just the circles I'm running in, but I'm not running across BAM missionaries in those regions. And, you know, and so again, some of it is we're training ministry leaders, church leaders, uh, great commission workers. So it's possible that those folks just aren't in the circles I'm running in. Um, but, but what I'm seeing, like in Egypt, for instance, is a fully developing, they have family ministries, they have ministries for the poor, they have sports ministries. I, I'm seeing a um, full gamut of ministries that are exclusively focused on um, taking the gospel deeper into the Egyptian culture. And very similar with Rwanda, I was very pleased with how well developed things are. Obviously, a bit different country. Um, so, so I I don't know. Like I, I'm I'm the request we're getting again is probably the sphere we're in. Like I was telling Matthew earlier, I had a talk with a guy from India. His name is Isaac, and he's with the IMA. I'm sure Ted, you're probably familiar with those guys. But mm-hmm. they, he said I represent sixty thousand missionaries, and we need to change the way India thinks about generosity so that we can expand ministry. And apparently the Hindu government has really been restricting to the point where they've confiscated Western funds and shut down about 30% of NGOs or nonprofits. But he's, he's saying, we have to figure it out on our own. And he wasn't asking for a BAM model. He was asking for a generosity model out of the church's giving and individual missionaries. And so I, I don't, I, I can't speak to the whole world, but the parts of it that I'm engaged with, and they are wanting to send laborers who are fully devoted. You know, and we talk a lot about in support raising solutions that, you know, when Paul was tent making, he could spend one day at the temple from Acts. And when the money was delivered, he was able to fully devote himself. And I think there, you know, all of us are called to use our vocation and do those things. But I, but I think on, from my perspective, there are those of us who have to or are called to fully devote. And what that means is we rely on the partners we have to do that. And I think it it's such an inclusion model of the body of Christ. And again, it is my perspective. I, I think there's space. Um, like, There's obviously 3.16 billion. Is that still the current number of people who are titled as unreached? There's space. There's space for people who want to do economic development, incarnational ministry. Um, but I think we're still we're still alive and well on the personal support raising side of things. But as I say that, any questions that cause any thoughts for you? What were you guys what'd you hear when I said all of that stuff?
1: Well, I, I, I resonate. Um, I think that's my perspective as well, similar to yours. I think one of the things, and Ted and I have talked about this at length that makes me nervous are the organizations, and I don't mean to step on any toes right now, but I'm sure I will. No names will be mentioned, but they say this is the way. Um, I I hear it all the time. Ted calls it a false binary. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. a both and, it's an either or. And um, it just makes me very nervous. And and I believe in the mass deployment of all of God's people. Like you said, marketplace Mm -hmm. workers, you know, business professionals, entrepreneurs, absolutely. But this is touted as the way, and I think something we have to wrestle with is, um, is supporting workers scriptural? Is it biblical? Because that's the real foundation we need to be building on. If it's, you know, if it's not biblical and anything goes, then we can do away with it. But, but I think there's a biblical precedent for it. We always lean into the expedient or the pragmatic. And sometimes when we do that, uh, we miss out on a great many blessings. And one of them you hit on there there's this interdependency that is created when we support one another in the work of God. And when we remove that, you know, let's make it on our own steam. I I hear, let's get off the hamster wheel of support raising. And I'm like, wait a minute. You know, this bonds us together in, in a, in a way that nothing else does. I mean, when Paul recalled the church in Philippi, he said, I rejoice. He celebrated because of the koinonia, the partnership they had in the gospel. And it was, a giving and receiving of finances. So, um, you know, I, again, I think we should be deploying everyone. It's it's A way, it's not D way. Ted, you you got to speak to that as well.
2: Yeah, well, I you know, I would just say I hear the same thing that, you know, this is the whole future of mission. Um, and I just like to ask people, you know, not not just on this issue by the way. This is kind of a good missiological habit to get into when somebody proposes some idea or strategy that we want to use when we do cross-cultural ministry, just ask yourself, well, how would that look or feel in our own context? And when I look at how ministry is done in our own context, in our own monocultural context, I don't see a lot of successful business entrepreneurs also pastoring churches. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't bivocational pastors Mm -hmm. because I think there's a lot of them. I think most Of the time though when we're thinking about bivocational pastors it's not a model that we uh, at least in the at least in the white anglo church i think it may be different in the african-american community but in the in the white anglo church we just don't see that as the go-to so will that be the go-to in global mission um i don't think it probably will be but like you matthew i just want to see it all happen so bring on all the bam workers that are out there that yeah. want to work, the water's fine, jump in, plunge in. Um, that does actually lead me to a question. It's a little bit off script, Mark, but. Okay. Um, so, you know, I'm working with a number, a couple of different African American mission networks. And I think in their context, they are very frustrated with the support raising model. Um, some saying it's a racist, it's a systemically racist. Mm-hmm. Uh, approach to funding mission, for example. Um, and they lean definitely more toward the bivocational model. Um, do you have any experience or background in working with African Americans as they try to raise funds through a support raising model? Um, just any thoughts on that topic?
0: Yeah, you know, um, I mean, what a sensitive place to, right, to walk into with so many other complicating factors that are beyond just the support raising piece. And, you know, what I really know comes from a couple of other guys that, um, and ladies who are African-American. Um, so Will Jones is a guy, oh gosh, I try to remember the name of his mission, um, awakening ministries international. And then Danielle Sparks from every nation and Erica Fushi. And, um, what i hear from them is that there is that they like you know it's sort of that idea of equity you know and fairness and and so if like a lot of us in the anglo church we're starting like if we're running a hundred yard dash we're starting at 40 yards already compared to some of the folks because of the way our churches are structured the thinking the missiological training that's been around and The pervasive needs, and what I hear from Will and Danielle particularly, is that because of the way they think about the gospel-centered community and the resources going to protect and invest in what is the most painful and difficult part for them is protecting and caring for the people who are in their group and and reaching the people in their group with the gospel, um, that there is a need to help. invest in them thinking differently about sending missionaries and some of those things. And so I I always want to be careful. um, but, but those men really have influenced the way I think. And what they will say is it's absolutely possible. Uh, but they have to be with people or Byron. Um, do you guys know Byron? Oh man, when I'm blanking his last name, he has, um, shoot. Anyway, he, but he does a lot of group coaching with them. He talks about things like it either has to be, a woman um, or a minority that teaches. He talks about sharing that experience over time. He he spends a lot of time on coaching, understanding their specific story, and what influence, maybe what trauma did they have, so that he can craft a specific uh, like pathway for them to move forward. But they all spend a lot of time on scripture. They um, they know things like. They're not going to have the networks that we have uh, to go and reach and raise support, and so they work a lot on referrals. But, but what I guess what I'm all saying is, those two men, actually those three men, tell me it is absolutely possible to do it, and there are some hurdles that have to be overcome, and it takes a lot of effort. And um, you know, the other one, oh, Tony. Gosh, I'm telling you, he's playing. But there, I, I know, I know four of these guys who are. Saying that they're actually spending their time doing it, um, and I should look those up so we can people can know about those groups. But they're they're doing a great job. We want to partner with them and celebrate what they're doing. But they say it's possible, um, and and I want to camp there, like because I, I do believe it's well, it is kind of unique. I would, I should say this too, um, when we go to Egypt or to Rwanda or to Peru or to India or Malaysia. Um, those folks have a different response than the African-American church that we have here. And so there is something unique about our culture that influences them. So I'm sure I I, I talked a lot about anyway, but I'd love to hear what you guys think on that, because it's such a, a delicate, delicate topic.
1: Well, I always go back to Paul when he asked the church in Philippi to give in chapter four, you know, he said, I'm not asking for my benefit. I'm asking for yours. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, you know, he says, um, what you give will be credited to your heavenly account. And and it's a accounting term that speaks of the positive side of the ledger. And and I think we forget sometimes no matter, you know, what circumstance it is is—an African-American church, you know, predominantly Caucasian church, whatever, um, there is a blessing that comes when we give. And so I, I think that's a, a piece of the equation that we need to bring into it. Um, so is it possible? Absolutely. Uh, look at the church in Macedonia. This church had nothing. And it says they implored Paul. They begged Paul for the opportunity to give to his ministry. So, yeah, um, I think theology is a big piece of this. So there needs to be training. There needs to be education. Um, and I think we need to, to hold up the, the biblical priority of support raising because that's what's going to inform our actions, right? What, what we believe about something informs our behaviors. And so I go back to, you know, is it scriptural? Um, that's the first question we should ask. I got that from Ted, by the way. Yeah. Is it biblical? That That's the question we should be asking. <laughs> I'd love to hear Ted's thoughts on this real quick. Credibility. Um, I often hear that those who raise support lack credibility of witness in field. And Ted, you you were a missionary. Did you run into any of that? Do you think that's a false idea? You know,
2: my sense on that, Matthew, is that it's a highly contextual question. So, you know, when I was in Bosnia, there was a, a huge international community there because of the fallout of the war and trying to rebuild that country. You'd never get a question about Salary and what you're doing. If you're working in Saudi Arabia right now as an expat, and your only job is being a missionary, I think that is a valid question. How do you fit? You know, Jesus played Jesus was a roaming rabbi. If you read NT Wright, he talks about Jesus fulfilled a role that in that culture people understood and knew. And I think that principle of making sure that if you're going to minister somewhere cross-culturally, you do play a role that the culture understands. I think that's a very important thing. Um, But there's many ways to do that. Yeah, Taking a job in a company or a corporation is just one of many opportunities Mm -hmm. that are available to you. So that's how I answer that.
1: Oh, that's good. I, I think something I keep running into is that every situation warrants investigation, exploration, understanding, and then you adjust your strategy accordingly. And that's why I really struggle with the silver bullet that I hear all the time on both sides. Right. You know, th- this is the thing, it's it's black and white. And I'm like, well, I've never experienced that. <laughs> but ev- every field, as you pointed out, is, is different.
2: How about um, the current economic situation? Um, are you seeing longer ramp up times for people to raise their support because of what's going on in the economy right now. What, what, what are you just, what are your reflections in in regards to that?
0: You know, um, I, I don't think we are currently, but what I am noticing on the front end of that is like one of the churches that's a partner of ours here in Northwest Arkansas, they, uh, they have flatlined all their spending. So what their budget was last year is their budget this year. And so I'm imagining that as that happens, we'll see a trickle down effect across, cause that means that people aren't giving, you know, um, you know, we did a, um, we survey, we have got uh, 55 facilitators who use our training inside their own mission agencies. And so every 12 months we survey, we ask them how many people they trained how much money did they raise per missionary on average? How long did it take? Um, and then how many partners do they have? And right now, as of uh, like March last year, uh, the average time to the field was between six to nine months. So that's still right within the window um, that we've seen in, in previous trends. Um, what we didn't—I'm trying to think—we should probably go back and analyze gift average gift size and some of those kinds of things. I don't know that I have a lot of data, but. But I would expect if churches are, you know, ha- starting to have a budget they had from last year um, and, and, I'm, and we're actually seeing it in our own organization, too. I mean, we're 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 having we were able to increase budget and spending and uh, options, and we're having to even dial back a little bit as an organization. So I, I don't know. I don't wonder what you guys are seeing there. But but right now, I think we're just on the front end of it. And um, I, I'm not I'm no economic guru. Um, but, but this church that, you know, like Arkansas, because we have Walmart during COVID, like we just didn't change. Like not, it, it's a pretty stable entity because of the presence of Walmart here. And so we're a little sheltered from the rest of the, the country, I might say.
2: Well, you know, I would. I mean, I'm in Florida and I do think that regionally the impact of the the shutdown and the lockdowns and all that definitely had an effect. But I just spent, you know, a few days with all these CEOs and we were discussing together these issues of, you know, what's the trends, what's happening. And I just point out that the ECFA's 2022 giving report shows that the church overall increased about 3% financially in oh, wow. terms of gross receipts. Um, That's in 2022. So that's really coming out of COVID. Um, I mean, eventually the downturn in church attendance has got to have an an impact. And kind of my message to organization leaders is, you know, we've been in the seven fat years. The seven skinny years are probably coming at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, So we need to prepare for seven skinny years, as well as seven fat years, you you should be doing, this is kind of how scenario planning works. The best scenario and the worst scenario, you, you come up with a plan that works in either one. And I, I do think we're in an environment where it almost feels a little artificial because budgets continue to grow while the church continues to shrink. And um, I do think at some point that's going to catch up with us, but it hasn't yet, at least in, in terms of The data that we have available to us.
1: Mark, one more question. Uh, How should churches and agencies rethink how support raising is done? One or two things.
0: You know, um, I think they should investigate what they actually have been doing. I I mean, I think um, there's a lot of frustration with it, but it may be because people one don't have a biblical understanding of, of what's going on. It's crazy. I was in, I'd raised support for almost yeah twenty years before I was introduced to a biblical theology about fundraising, um, and so that that piece alone um, I think is really important. Are they aware? Have they spent time? Do they know what Scripture actually says about support raising? And then two what systems and structures do they have in place to actually help people uh, raise support? Do they have good qualified coaches? Do they have, you know, like we, um, we just did a workshop at our leaders conference about three weeks ago. And, you know, Mark Bartek um, from Focus was talking about, move the obstacles out of the way for fundraisers. Don't make it harder, make it easier. Do we have, can they get all their data in one place? Um, do you have good expectations for what their work week should look like when they're raising support? And so we we would say at a minimum, people should be having 10 face-to-face meetings. So in, in my two things, be biblical knowledge, and are you actually using some of the best practices that are available? Those would be my two thoughts. And, and there's lots of stuff out there. I mean, um, more and more organizations are popping up that want to train uh, workers in raising support. But but again, I, I, I mean, like you said, that that biblical piece, I couldn't believe how much it changed mm-hmm. after I'd been raising support for 20 years already.
1: Yeah, the, the why question is the most essential question, mm-hmm. right? Do, do we have a biblical foundation that we build on? Is this a, a biblical idea, as we've already mentioned? And then, yes, when you discover that it indeed is, what do the practical pieces look like? I think that's great wisdom, Mark. I think the best wisdom is always the simplest, right? The most profound wisdom uh, is those accessible bits of truth that God gives us. So, Ted, you know what it's time for today? I know what it's time for. Ted, what and do I'm you like? i share
2: with you something I like. And this is a weird one. Unfortunately, I can't hold it up for you, but I'm going to just tell you what it is. I have a uh, foot pedal that plugs into my computer. It has three buttons on it, and I can use my foot to activate any one of three keys. It's awesome on Zoom calls. (laughs) Anything you do that's recorded where you want to quickly mute your microphone, like you're going to have a big sneeze coming on. Click with your foot. The microphone's off. You can sneeze. There's a bunch of these different foot pedals available on Zoom. you know, online retailers, and you can find them, and they're very inexpensive. It's a nice little upgrade. That's something I like.
1: Man, Ted, I don't know how you do it, but y- you are the tech wizard.
2: <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being with us on the podcast today. Um, w- before we get off here, Mark, just give our listeners, if they wanted to find out more, uh, you just went through a rebrand. I suppose you're old website is still under the old name, but how do they find you most easily?
0: Yep, so we still own the domain name for support raising solutions, but you can also find us under via generosity or via the nations is our website, but look us up and we've got a lot of resources for you, your team, your leaders, and we exist solely to help you make sure your staff are well-funded and biblically knowledgeable and get to the field and stay on the field. So thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it, guys. Awesome.
2: Thanks Thanks a lot.
0: Before you go, be sure to like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. The Mission Matters podcast is a partnership of 1615 and Missio Nexus. Check out 1615.org and missionexus.org for more resources on the mission of God and the matters of the mission. The Mission Matters podcast is hosted by Matthew Ellison, president of 1615, and Ted Esler, president of Missio Nexus.